Hello there. Welcome to Work, Rest, Slay, the podcast for the Image Business Club, where we aim to offer encouragement and share insights and learnings with our business community straight from successful women who've walked the walk ahead of us. My name is Melanie Morris and I'm contributing editor at Image Media. Over the past six or so months, I've had the joy of chatting with outstanding women in business, leaders who have so generously shared their stories on the not always so straightforward paths to success. In each case, I've learned so much, but common to all is the dedication that comes with great achievements. There's no such thing as an overnight success and mm, lucky breaks. Well, they don't really happen without a lot of prior planning, hard graft and outstanding teamwork. My guest today is another example of this. As Managing Director of Kuna Nagel Ireland, Pamela Quinn is a woman who's dedicated her life not alone to improving the operations and bottom line of a business she's worked with for 21 years, but also as someone who continues to learn and appraise her own performance so that she always gives of her best. Because of this, she's an incredible MD, a kind, generous mentor, and a very highly regarded business leader in Ireland. Pamela Quinn won the Image Businesswoman of the Year Awards in 2016, and that night gave a standout acceptance speech. The next year, she spoke at one of our networking breakfasts, and again had everyone rooted to their seats with all she had to say. I'm so happy to have her here with us today, not simply as it's our International Women's Day edition of Work, Rest, Slay, but especially because of it. Before we begin, can I mention this podcast is sponsored by One Nutrition, an Irish brand that makes good nutrition easy with a range of supplements to support the demands of daily life. One Nutrition will only ever use ethically sourced premium pure ingredients, all of which come with certified quality assurance. Find their colourful and sustainable packs on shelves in your local health store or in pharmacies nationwide and check out One Nutrition on Instagram at weareonenutrition. But back to today, and just before we start, it would be so appreciated if you would hit subscribe on this podcast, rate us, and if you have a moment, leave a review too. Thank you so much, and now over to Pamela. So Pamela, thank you so, so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Melanie. It's great to be here. Well, I know, and as I said in my introduction, any time I've sat and listened to you speak or anything that I've read about you, what I love about all your tips and all you share with us is It's the kind of advice that works across everybody. So it doesn't matter if you're in a profession or if you're in an if you're an entrepreneur or you're just starting up or you're changing your business. Mm -hmm. All of the kind of nuggets you've amassed along the way. But it's amazing to think. Have you worked in the one business for 21 years? I have. I'm 21 years this week, would you believe, um, in the company I'm in, which is uh, Kunanagal, a logistics company. And uh, yeah, I can't believe myself. 21. I started when I was 24. So really uh, young and and didn't think uh, 21 years later I'd be sitting here, I can assure you. (laughs) Well, now, I don't want to start with the cliche of a Mm -hmm. woman in a man's world, but you have never worked in a female environment. I mean, even if we go back from, tell us about your career journey and how 21 years, what it looks like in one organization. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, logistics has absolutely, you're right, categorically been tagged as the man's world. Um, and certainly when I went in 21 years ago, it was it was definitely that um, I didn't really look at it that way even back then. But um, it was and it was kind of associated with, I suppose, haulage, you know, like hauliers, maybe even a bit of a, you know, 
scruffy business dare I say like um and certainly not um as it really is okay so um I went in in an administrative role uh 24 and enjoyed it got into the finances I was studying HR at night um wanted to do that I saw HR as a kind of neutral area that would go across any industry so that I chose to study that mm-hmm. and they didn't have a HR department in Cunanagal 21 years ago. How many people were in About there? About 40 people. Okay. So really they were just developing a couple of offices, pretty small and I asked, can you know, can I set up a HR department? I think we could do it one. And I was told, no, no, we're what, not we're not into doing that. What job did you go into? So I went into like a, a, a basically like an administrative finance administrative role. And I was doing that for about six months um, coming up to a year. They were happy with what I was doing. And I was coming up to the end of finishing my HR studies. And I saw this opportunity, look, HR department would be great here. We're growing. And they're like, no, 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 we don't we don't want a HR department. And I was like, OK, fair enough. And a week later, they came back and said, actually, um, would you mind setting up HR? Um, because HR at that time consisted your contract was one page, literally your name, address, what you were getting paid and when you started. And that was it. No policies, no procedures, nothing in place. No handbook. No handbook. Yeah. No, they d- didn't even know what a handbook was, for God's sake. Mm. Um, so I set up HR from scratch, literally. No systems, payroll. Every payroll was done by finance at the time. And um, they had no HR system. Recording holidays was manual. I mean, I really... And you weren't still doing the the day job as well, were no, you? I had, no, I had. So they said, so give me the opportunity to kind of move into HR completely. Okay. Um, and I did that and I went in and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, there was a little bit of resistance from the 30 or 40 people who were there because they saw me. I was only six months. Oh, no, I was actually a year in the business. Mm. Um, and they were a little bit kind of, mm, why is she getting the role? And, you know, why is she kind of going in? And HR back then was seen as the lovely job. Right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I God Almighty is right. Yeah. Um, but you know what? Three months in, I had people queuing at the door saying, "Can I have a word with you? Can I? Can you help me with this?" So I completely kind of turned it around, and I loved it. I worked my hardest, probably from a setup. You know, I probably did sixty, seventy hours a week. I would take a Saturday off. I'd be in on Sunday. I would do the administration. Yeah, I would. I would do it all to set it up. But I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I must ask you about the difference between, Mm -hmm. because you were obviously, you were young, the difference between academically learning a Mm -hmm. subject and going in at the coalface. Yeah, there's no comparison. Okay, so what are the biggest, what are the biggest learnings from literally well, they don't. Te- I mean, academically, they don't teach you about people. How can they? Mm. They teach you about the theory, the legal side of it, um, the law, the entitlements, let's say all those kind of basics. Um, but they don't it doesn't prepare you for people. Mm. And when people come and people don't just come with those problems of what am I entitled to? They come with problems that are, you know, I have financial problems or my husband or my partner and they, they bring you into their lives. Um, and I think that's truly underestimated in HR um, that that side of things is enormous. Mm, mm. Um, and then, of course, it comes back. And, and I would say, you know, that was 21 years ago. And 21 years later, I would say it's even bigger now than it was back then. Well-being, people's, you know, different impacts, mental um, uh, health. And, you know, there's so many aspects to it. So, and I imagine processes and procedures course, have become so much more sophisticated. They, absolutely. And mm. there's systems now that help with that. But they're nearly secondary. 
so it's it's really a people's um, side of it, which was why I realized, I, you know, not necessarily at the time, but as I look back, that's why I loved it so much. Mm. I loved that people aspect. I loved helping people with their careers, giving them advice. Um, but it was tough. It was definitely tough. I mean, there's no getting away from it. But I learned so much. So tell us about your progression through this. Did your department grow? Yes. Mm. So I was myself and two others by the time I finished up. I was asked after about three and a half years in HR, they came and said, could you run the operations for us? And I was like, oh, no, no, I don't know anything about the operational side of the business. Uh, I'm not ready. I haven't finished what I want to do in HR. Um, And then they came back when I was five years in to the HR role. And they said, look, Pamela, you're really good with people. This is simply about managing people. You can learn the business. And I took a chance. I went in having never, now despite being five, six years in the company at this point, I didn't really understand our business properly. Mm. I didn't understand the systems or what we did. And so it was, when I look back, it was quite a brave thing to do. Um, it was risky. You know, I was leaving HR. I loved it. But there was one reason why I wanted to leave HR. When I was in the business, I found it a little bit restrictive in HR. Um, So let me give you an example. If I interviewed somebody and you were the hiring manager and I'm the HR person, the ultimate decision of whether you hired that person was down to you. I could guide you. As the HR person? No, as the hiring manager. Right. So as the HR person, I could guide you, I could Mm. suggest to you, but I couldn't make that decision. Mm. Mm -mm. And so I found that a little bit restrictive for me. And I I began looking at other parts of the business and I could see things that we could be doing differently as a business, but only in my head. I was, you know, in my, they were my own thoughts. So I, that was kind of the attractiveness of changing role Yeah. to say, okay, I could go in and I could influence the business now in a different way. And I went in to the operations role and I started again. I From scratch. So I started, I drew a line under HR and I went in as the new me um, and I did things very differently to how I did them in HR. So I took the opportunity to... Yeah, from everything I'd learned in HR, sure, it stayed with me. But I had people coming to me going, oh, listen, you know, the conversation we had in HR, is that going to matter now in your new role? So I had a bit of that going. So I was like, no, forget all of that. I was a parish priest then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Now I'm not. So now here I am fresh. And I went in and I remember after three months, people coming up to me going, wow, it's so different here already. How did you manage to get their trust? Because, you know, like anything, it's like if somebody tells you a secret when they've mm-hmm. been drinking and then they remember yes. they tell you, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's it's hard to change the rapport and to change yourself mm-hmm. without becoming a person you don't want to be or employing your skills you don't want to use. I think trust, um, I mean, it's a it's a big one. It's something personally that I put a lot into. I, you know, I have a big thing about trust, mm. um, about being trusted as well as trusting. Mm. OK, um, and I think to get people to trust you, I mean, delivering on what you're going to say you're going to do yeah. is really important. You know, I listened to people when I was in HR and throughout my whole career. And if I gave them a commitment, I would deliver on it. It was re- it's really important to me. I don't want to say something and then not deliver. So that's one a- aspect of trust is to say, well, you know what? She said she would do that and she has. Mm. Um, I believe in being honest with people. Um, Mm. I think people, I think when you're talking to people, they already know what you're telling them. Yeah. You're just telling them something they're thinking. And I think that creates a level of trust because they're going, you know what? Yeah, okay. She's she's telling me something I already, I'm not telling them what they want to hear necessarily. Okay. And that's not always easy to do, but I do believe in 
being honest. With you them. are an excellent communicator. Is this something that comes naturally to you or is this something you've learned to require? I've learned. Oh, my God. I, I don't even know if I am an, uh, an excellent communicator, but um, no, I've I've learned it. And when I took over my current role, which is nearly nine years ago, communication was the one area for me that I was the most nervous about and the one that I thought was my weakest um, area. Gosh. And would you believe what really changed things for me is when I won the Image Businesswoman of the Year? Why? Um, it's lovely to hear. Yeah, but... that, that really, I can tell you that's a pinpointed turning moment for me. Because up to that, so I was always very nervous addressing into the business. So communication, written, verbal, whatever way we were going to go about it, um, fine. When I won that award, I had to stand up in front of 900 people literally 900 people and I remember doing and the the room got so quiet and I was shaking it was it was a wonderful experience and a terrible experience but when I look back it was the best thing I could ever have done when you say it was you know you had to stand up and it was terrifying was it the standing there was it the speaking no not the standing not the speaking it was the how am I going to come across so my place at the table yeah what are people going to think of me do people even think I'm, I deserve the award? And is Do I think I deserve the award? You know, like there's all of that goes on. Was this the thought on the night yeah. or was this afterwards? No, on the night. On the night? Yeah, for sure. So what did you tell yourself then? I went up and told my story of what I did. And it was easy to do because it was true. Mm. And it was what I really did. So it wasn't like a rehearsed speech. If you go somewhere and you have to do a rehearsed speech, that's nearly worse for me. Um... And I think the silence in the room and the feedback I got afterwards and, you know, for days afterwards, people were going, oh, I was so inspired by what you said. That really, really helped. And every single meeting I had or, you know, um, networking event, mm. I was like, it's not 900 people, so I'm fine. <laughs> I've done 900. <laughs> so I've done 900. What's yeah. 90? Um, and that literally turned it around for me. Wow. Yeah, because that was the perspective for me. If you can do 900 mm. and get that feedback... You can do 90. But it was so funny because, well, not funny, but it's interesting to hear you say this now looking back mm. because um, I remember on the night and, you know, I said it at the beginning here, your speech, your acceptance speech, I was standing beside you. So I saw you had nothing written on a piece mm-hmm. of paper or anything, yeah. but it was so succinct, so fluid um, so well paced, so well thought out and so perfectly timed. It it literally came from you. And the reason there was silence was because people were enthralled. They were listening to a very true story. From it was somebody. a true story and it was a true learning experience. And I think as long in communications, I like to be relatable. I mm. like to be able to keep it true. Um, and then, you know, if it if it's works for people and they get inspired, that's super. Um well, let's bring that back into yeah. the office then. Yeah. So now you've been in your position as country manager and then managing mm-hmm. director for nine years yeah, now. Nine years. So you obviously have to talk to different people about different things a lot. Yes. So what sort of things stick in your mind before you have to have a meeting or before you have to cover I always some? prepare. 
Mm. Um, and preparation for me is being clear on what I want to get out of any meeting, whether it's a one to one, whether it's a board meeting, it doesn't matter. I need to be clear on where I want to bring the conversation, mm. particularly if I'm hosting it. So typically, you know, let's take a, a board meeting. I have 15 senior directors. I'll be very clear at the end of the day what I want to have achieved and I will prepare accordingly. Mm. And then I don't practice um, what I'm going to say. I, I wing that mm, mm. because I'm clear in my head, mm. you know, so I then go with it in the moment. Um, so that for me is the most critical part. I found in my trials of doing it right, wrong and indifferent, practicing didn't work for me. So if I if you said to me, Pamela, go and stand up there and do a speech and here's what I want you to say and learn it off, that would be a disaster for mm. me. I could learn it, but it wouldn't come across genuine. You know, so I do. I, I know exactly yeah. because I'm the same creature, because if I've lived with something too much in my head. Yeah, it's it's taken root. Yeah. Where is the passion or the interest or whatever? Exactly. You've got to experience it. Exactly. And you don't yeah. need to practice what you've lived. You can remember it. I can recall it in a conversation with you as we're doing now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's the best way for communication. But always prepare, always understand who you're speaking to. Your audience is really important um, and how you maybe want to make them feel. Mm, you know, so mm. if I'm if I'm having a one to one with somebody in a communication and I want to give them praise, you know, I have to match my words and my tone and my body language to that. That's all communication. And equally, the other way around, if I need them to understand a point, I I make sure that I'm prepared in that way. Yeah. Over the last couple of years, yeah. when your business has obviously moved remotely, mm-hmm. how did you manage to keep the collaboration and, you know, the sort of the corporate culture going because obviously you would have been coming mm-hmm. into the office every day or whatever now you're working remotely were there any tips we didn't really yeah not really, really. not mm. really no in 2020 we did mm. so pandemic hits march and i would say to you in 2020 it was all about i mean even even the phrases that we all know we're all in this together and so on so real sense the culture had carried forward from pre-pandemic through the rest of that year, we managed to maintain that sense of culture and and organization. And then 21 was a very different year. We saw some changes going on with people. We saw people leaving. We saw people coming in. You know, you're onboarding people over Zoom. They're Mm. not necessarily coming into a desk. They have no sense. They don't know what it was like pre-pandemic. They have no sense of the company other than over Zoom. Um, And it became really difficult really it was a real challenge for us to maintain that sense of culture and belonging and what we stood for for 25 years in Ireland it it was difficult and in relation to dealing with your head office in Mm -hmm. Europe or those kind of communications were they quite difficult as well yeah they were also over zoom um Mm. everything was over zoom um and they were difficult they were you know limited you were going from one call to another call to another call it's tiring it's exhausting it's not the same as being in person um one one thing i thought that was very interesting that you were saying to me is that you deliberately take time out of your calls yeah for processing time i do yes really important tell me about that so i learned that along the way um when i come if i look back on my career i was always you know working long hours that's fine but also block booking time and when when i went into my md role I needed time to consider things. I needed time to consider where we were going as a business. Um, And I realized that 
you know, being on calls all day is not a good use of my time and mm. it's not really beneficial to the business. I t- really, really believe in it. Um, it's really important. That processing could be anything, right? So when I, so let's go to pre-pandemic when I was in work five days a week, sometimes I do a day or two at home anyway. Mm. And that was my processing time. You know, I might do some emails, but I was really thinking, mm. I was really considering what were the next steps and where did we need to go? Um, so I, I have practiced it to the point of, I would say I nearly do it naturally and I don't feel guilty about doing it. I used to feel guilty about doing it. I used to think that to be busy meant I only need to do emails or I only need to be in meetings. And if I'm not doing those things, there's something wrong, Mm. you you know, so it's okay to consider and think and process. But you certainly one needs to empty the mind in order to fill it again. And is there a particular way for me, lightnings always strikes in the shower. Mm -hmm. I have no idea why, but that's where I do my thing. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So I would be up in the morning into the shower and that would be my first time to switch on. Mm. Okay, so now I'm in the zone, I'm in the work zone, and that is absolutely where I might go, oh, need to get this done, or what about we do this and whatever. Um, So I I would be the same as you. People always ask me, how do I switch off? Um, And I would say a little bit like a light switch. Literally, (laughs) I just switch off. And are you one of those people who you switch off for a few hours and then you switch on again? Oh, I'm delighted to hear that. No, typically not. It's taken practice, Mm. discipline, um, and now I do it naturally. Um, when I was in work and when I'm in the office, I get into the car and I ring my sister or I ring someone else, non-work related, and I'm switched off. Mm. I haven't even got to the roundabout and I've switched off and I won't switch back on. Um, in At home, it's different because I'm going from one room to another. Mm-hmm. But my switch off is leave the laptop, go in and make the dinner. And I allow my husband to, um, I know he'll never listen to this podcast anyway, <laughs> so I can say it. Uh, I, I allow him to tell me about his day. Mm. So he occupies my head with something different than my own job. And then I'm switched off. Yeah. I, I know for me, I need that switch off and that rest to be at my best when I'm switched on. Mm. And if I don't have it, I'm no good. So Kuna Nagel these days, yes. how many of you are there? Because, you know, once upon a time there was 35, 40 of mm-hmm. you. Now? In Ireland, we're 450. Wow. Yeah. So really substantial growth. Um, globally has grown too. I mean, we employ about 90,000 globally. But from an Ireland point of view, 450. We're still based in Dublin, Cork and Shannon. Um, and Dublin is our biggest site. So we'd have the majority of people in Dublin with Cork next and then Shannon. So. And is there an office in Belfast? There is, but that comes under the UK. Yeah. Yeah. So not under my remit. So Brexit, how has that changed things? Yeah. Or has it? It has. Mm. It has changed things for sure. We found that particularly um, when it started, it was chaotic. Um, the most unprepared were probably the UK themselves. Mm. Um, but well, we also those pictures of the, the yeah. trucks outside. Um, yeah. Where was it? Not Brighton. Down at the end of England or whatever. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Look, um, there's, it's fine now, Mm. okay? There's still some procedures and processes and everything else, but we're getting through it. We had to employ more people. I mean, I think everybody had to do that. Um, It was pretty chaotic for for a while, Um, but it works. It it was always going to work. It was just... And do you feel you're still feeling your way to an extent that you're waiting for another shoe to drop over in Westminster? Yeah, I think so. I think we all are, yeah, aren't we? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, it's not easy. Um, it, don't get me wrong, but it, it works because it has to work. And slowly but surely, you know, as we fast forward and we're quite a while into it now, 
I think our customers have got used to what's required and, mm. you know, it, it's okay. Coming back to 2020 and the kind of the first yes. COVID times, there must have been a huge feeling of um, camaraderie within logistics because that it must have been an exciting time to work in what you're doing. You know, the, the irony is for all the years that I've been the MD I've always been trying to get logistics out there as uh, an industry um, and Melanie you know this we've had the discussion and people going Kuna who what, what's the name <laughs> um, and I totally get that right but logistics and people go oh, okay and again that old association of maybe that man's world um, and not maybe a very exciting industry and all of a sudden the pandemic hits and it does the job for us. It's everywhere. It's like logistics is the place to be. This is, you know, these are the people who are moving the stuff all over the world for us. Um, we were lucky in Ireland. Our mix is pharmaceutical, food. Um, we have other stuff, but those two areas were going to remain no matter what from a pandemic point of view. Mm. So we continued to to strive. I mean, we had um, a fabulous year in 2020 um, in every way and an even better year in 2021 so the business has just grown and grown but and your grown. teams especially in the early days mm-hmm. it must have been you know real frontline stuff yes and we had people on site too so we have our warehouses um, and they've always had to stay on site and they've done an amazing job um, and literally offloading and reloading trucks I mean without them it just wouldn't have have worked and Nothing then we had a yeah. certain percentage in the office as well because you know we have to tie up paperwork and labeling and stuff like that um, so people just really dug in I have to say uh, so amazing the way people just said you know what this is what we have to do um, we'll, we'll do what it takes and they did my god did they you learned so much about human spirit yeah. I'm sure through all of this oh for sure mm. you really do it's been amazing and you know I, I can't look back and say anything different I just so proud of everything that everybody did from a KM perspective it's so now that things hopefully mm-hmm. are coming back the way we used to be or whatever to an extent um are you going to do hybrid working for your teams yes. are they coming back in or how are you managing all so of this so they're coming back in we're giving them the option of doing three days in two days at home um we'll see how that goes um and then you know I guess people may want to alter it down the road we just need to see how we work like that first yeah. but for sure yeah hybrid is is the way to go and how have you brought people back are, are they already back or is this something they're that... just starting today oh my uh, gosh yeah so March is all about coming back to work um, or the workplace should I say uh, from KN so we have 85 people starting back this week and we have a certain percentage already on site so if you take into account our warehouse mm. workers and then each week um, we have another batch coming back in so kind of very phased uh, we, you know, we've goodie bags on people's desks. We're having welcome Wednesdays, giving them pizzas and, you know, really uh, making them uh, integrate back into the workplace. And we have a huge amount of people that have never even set foot inside our offices because they've only started with us. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? It's when hard to believe. It. Yeah. I mean, we, we've had to consider things like who do we need to show around the building? How We need to show them where their desk is um, because when they started, they started working from home and they've never even been in the office. It's, it's hard to believe, but that's the case. Yeah, no, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And in relation to sort of getting, you know, the the old Kuna Nagel spirit yes. back again, yes. are you finding everything is beginning to sort of start motoring again? Yes. Mm. Um, I had a 
a broadcast this morning with everybody and I spoke about culture and I spoke about it and I was very open. I said it's one of the downsides I saw from the pandemic um, and I saw it as an opportunity to now, you know, really come back with a bang and build on the momentum. And I had fabulous feedback from everybody. They're so excited mm. um, and delighted to hear. I mean, I just I just wanted to call it out as it was. Have you tips for anyone who's going through this at the moment, either from an employer side of things mm-hmm. or even from what you've noticed from your teams? So firstly, from the teams, there's definitely mixed feelings. So you, we have people who are quite nervous mm. coming back, mm. anxious. Um, some are excited, some are relieved because, you know, you've you've people in all different circumstances. Some have been working in isolation. Some mm. have been working off kitchen islands, mm. bedrooms, whatever may be the case. Um, and their home setup doesn't suit for them to stay there. So they're relieved to be able to come back and have that structure. But know that there are mixed feelings. And I spoke about it again this morning and, you know, people welcomed that. The mm. honesty of that to say it's OK to be nervous. I think from an employer point of view, it's about being really showing real empathy in that space and understanding that everybody's different. You know, I might be excited to go back. It doesn't mean the next person is. Yeah. Um. You know, and I and I we've had to really, really consider all of those and try and make it as easy as possible for people um, and make it OK to not be OK. Well, it's true. Nobody ever gets everything 100% no. the first time, employer or employee. Exactly. So it'll ta- it's probably like reversing a car or something. It'll yeah, take it's going to take a few goes. And, and mm. you know, even week one people, um, by the time we get to week two, maybe we'll tweak things because we've discovered in week one that people felt, you mm. know, well, if you could have done it this way or that way. So we'll we'll change and tweak as we go along. The most important piece for me is to get people back, get them introduced, get them feeling and a sense of belonging back to the organization. You know, because yeah. that's that's been the big thing that's missing. Tell me about um, your I, I know there's no such thing as an average day, but how much of your day is spent dealing with, you know, running a business? Mm-hmm. How much of it is spent dealing with people? How, how does your day usually pan out? So I would say dealing with people. I run the business through the people. Mm. So I would say to probably 80, 20, 80 percent of my time is consumed by dealing with people. So on whether it's topics of business, um, topics to help them with mentoring, any range of things that I could be involved with, it's all through people um, and managing them. And, you know, it's the great part of the job, but it's also the most difficult part. Mm. Well, I suppose that's where the HR experience. Yes. Obviously. Yeah, it helps. For sure, it helps. Um, But what really helps is, you know, one thing I've learned about managing people it's not really about me at all. It's about them. Mm-hmm. Well, easier said than yeah. absorbed. <laughs> True. Yeah. But I learned it over time. Um, and I think as a manager, as a younger manager, when I first took over managing people, I was so caught up in me, how I was doing things, how I was. And that's fine to a point. But actually, I realized the real way of managing and leading is about me understanding the people and dealing with them as individuals and it's hard it means that you change how you are on an hourly or daily basis mm. depending on who you're dealing with well that's something i want to ask you mm-hmm. about because you have an incredible ability to be able to self-audit mm-hmm. where did that come from um i'm not sure where it came from but i remember being really self-aware in a particular role probably back 10 about 12 years ago and I realized that I was restricting myself 
Um, I know that sounds a little odd. And what I mean by that is, so I would have described you, if you were talking to me 12 or 15 years ago, I would have been a perfectionist, definitely a control freak, uh, wanting to do everything myself through the wanting to control. Mm. And I realized that it had, you know, it was limiting me. Mm. Of course, I can't do everything. Mm. Of course, I can control everything. Um, And it was limiting me in my career progression. And I had um, a boss who my predecessor, who I would regularly give feedback to him and he would take it on board and the very next day he would change it. And so I found this quite inspiring, Mm. I suppose, looking at him because we literally would have had a conversation and the following day I would see him do it differently. So I was going, that's incredible. But I realized about myself that I was very stubborn and I didn't want somebody to tell me what I was telling him. I didn't want to hear it, even though I knew it. Mm. I didn't really want to hear it. So I I had to have a real conversation with myself about either I go along the way I am. I'm going to be limited in what I can do and how I do it. Or I open myself up to be vulnerable, accept that I make mistakes and accept that I don't know the answers and I can't do it all. Um, I make it sound easy. It wasn't. It wasn't just one conversation. It was mm. a difficult journey for me. But my God, was it the best thing I ever did? And I would say to anybody, in fact, I do say to people, the self-awareness and the self-learning has been for me the hardest learning of everything. Mm. Because it's hard to be vulnerable. It's hard to say, I don't know how to do that. It's And and the higher up you go, I mean, I say it today without even batting an eyelid, by mm. the way, I have absolutely no problem with somebody saying, Pamela, you're wrong. And I'm going, OK, because now I'm curious as to, OK, how was I wrong and what? OK, that's great. And now I see it as learning. So by being self-aware, I open the door to learning. How did you manage to do a complete U-turn on yourself? Because... I'm sure if you were somebody who was veering towards, you know, perfectionism and order and management and all the rest to have to hear feedback and say thank you very much and learn from it. Um, Were there any particular standout stories? Yeah, one in particular. Um, I was in my branch role, would have been around 2006, and I had worked all day in meetings dealing with people, dealing with other people's problems, dealing with the operational problems, whatever. It was half past six. It was a sunny evening. And I saw people in the car park and they were waving to each other. Um, and they were, some of them at the time reported to me. And they were saying to each other, have a good evening and, you know, mm-hmm. enjoy. I think somebody said, you know, oh, enjoy your barbecue. And at half past six, I was catching up on my missed calls, my text messages and my email. And I knew I had three to four hours work ahead of me that oh day. Oh, my God. And I realized they weren't the problem. I was. No man is an island. Yeah. Yeah. I was creating this situation that I found myself in. I was working by choice that way. And it was like a penny dropping moment of going, what am I doing? This is not the way I want to operate. It's not the way I want to live. It's not the way I want to work. And it's, you know, who am I kidding? Um, And that was my penny dropping moment. But it was probably the the moment where all those learnings and realizations had come to a head mm-hmm. and the very next day out of sheer frustration and exhaustion from working I changed and I've never looked back so what did you do I went in and I 
changed how I arrange meetings. I start putting time in to think. I start putting time in to do my emails during the day. I start. So putting, you eliminated back to back <coughs> meetings. Back to back. Got Gone. rid of it. Stopped mm. all this knocking on the door. Have you got a minute? And I would always go, sure. Mm-hmm. That's all I ever. Sure. No problem. Come in. Because. I got confused between wanting to be people pleasing, wanting mm-hmm. to, you know, be available for people. And I confused that with needing time to be effective for people. So how much of this is also familiarity with your role, though? Because equally, you would be very familiar with the business. You'd mm-hmm. be familiar with the rhythm of the business. Yes. So that would give you confidence, would it not? At this stage, yes. Yeah. Back then, no. Okay. So now I'm confident with the business. Yeah. Um, now I see being confident as I'm in control. Mm. So a different type of control compared to the one I described. So it's not I'm in control because I'm doing everything. I'm in control because I know where we're at, where we're going. I know who's got what. Fine. You know, so so I'm in control in that sense. Um, but back then I, I felt like I I needed to do everything personally. It's crazy. So you are now a good delegator. Yes. Could you give us some tips on how to be a good delegator? I think good delegation, first and foremost, is about getting your head around the principle of delegating. Mm. So question, why are you not delegating? I mean, I sit here today and say to you, not to delegate, are you mad? I love delegating. I think people underestimate. So again, they see it only from their own side. Mm. So I don't want to delegate because I want to do it myself. I don't want to delegate because I feel I can do it better. I don't want to delegate because what or or the person's too busy, so I won't give it to them. Mm. And actually, through years of talking to people about this very topic and practicing it and seeing the impact, not only does delegation free you up, but it empowers people and they love it. Mm. You know, to delegate something to somebody gives them trust and people reciprocate that trust and they love it and they work better. You know, nine times out of 10, they feel great. Pamela's asking me to do something. So she trusts me with it. And that's the case. You're giving trust. And I never made that connection before because I was making it about me. Yeah. And so we're back to that point of actually they feel empowered and delighted to be helping out or to be part of something. And that's what delegation is. It's not simply passing off tasks. It's empowering people and trusting people to do something on your behalf. And that is a big honor for people. Mm. If, if, if my boss gave me something, I would see it that way too. Do you have a senior management team that you work very closely with? Yes. And how does that dynamic work? Do you all meet regularly? So we meet or? once a month. Mm-hmm. We have um, board meetings once a month, pretty packed days. Um, and yeah, we we really good relationships. Um, there's 14 of them, we work well together. You know, some I have I've different setups with each of them. Some I meet once a week, some I meet once a month Mm -hmm. in between those board meetings. Um, But I like to be available. They escalate, but they're a super team and, you know, they only come to me when they need to come to me now. And has technology must have changed a huge amount Mm -hmm. in your tenure. How do you keep up with technology and how do you work out what's good technology and what's not necessary? Yeah, I I definitely went through um, a situation where you know, with my team, for example, if they said, oh, you know, Pamela, I'd like to meet you. Um, I have a system now that that I have to kind of insist on. OK, um, I do have a, a PA which really helps. Yeah. And so it's like, go go to her and 
you book your meetings through her because everybody who comes to me, everything's urgent mm. for them. It's urgent mm. for me. It's not necessarily. Yeah. So I have to really filter through and go, OK, I'll, I'll do this one first and whatever. I found at one point I was getting Zoom messages, Zoom calls, emails, text messages, WhatsApps, all going, have you got five minutes? Could I go? And I had to stop that. So I think technology is wonderful, but you also have to learn to control it because it be- can become very overwhelming. Mm. At one point, emails were like the bane of my life. And then I mastered those. And then it was like moving to WhatsApp and, and Zoom messages. And I was going, oh my God, this is crazy. Everything and, just migrates to follow yeah, you. And think of it, it. you've yeah. 10 people and each one of them says the same thing to you. Could I get you for five minutes? What has actually happened is they've just made my to-do list bigger. I have to now remember yeah. who the 10 are, what they were asking me for, when to go back to them. It's, it's a nightmare. So I think you really just have to be disciplined in how you're structured and organized. Do you schedule time to answer emails or do you try to answer them organically over the course of a day? Or is there even so a plan? So I do answer them during the day. Mm. I found I was doing... St- stupid things um over the years i used to read emails and go i'll go back to that yeah and then unread it un you know mark it as unread again and then go back and read it a sec i was ridiculous so um in the last probably three or four years i've really mastered away i typically have less than 20 emails in my inbox oh that's good yeah, yeah. that's good and is that because you deal with it if because I've really managed to segregate why am I on this I don't need to be mm. so go away from me um I don't believe in all that copying me in on everything and you know so I'm past all of that mm-hmm. I've, I see people doing it I tried to give them listen I've been there and done that mm. um I get past that that copying in piece so normally when something comes to me it needs my attention that's fine yeah and I tend to deal with it there and then mm. if I can if I'm in meetings all day I'll deal with them in the evening or I'll scan them and deal with them the next day yeah like Ooh. I won't sit there and all night and do them anymore I yeah. used to but not anymore I can remember one great tip I, that somebody said to me is if it's going to take less than three minutes do it straight away absolutely and if it's going to take more than three minutes then it actually sometimes has, then it's people are just looking for a yes something. for me yeah can you approve this yes go ahead yeah yeah you know and it is as simple as that so I think it it is really down to me being really disciplined and not falling into bad habits. You must spend hours in the shower in the morning <laughs> <laughs> planning all of this. Tell me, is there anyone in business that you particularly look up to? Um, not necessarily mm. any individual. You know, I always look up to people who, you know, people who start their own business or people who have, you know, families and are running. I, I admire people who do that. I admire the bravery of people to go out and start up their own business. I mm. think it's fantastic. I think it's a I think it's an enormous thing to do and a risky. I'm very risk averse, I realize, as part of my personality um, and in certain areas. Mm. And I think if I was to start up my own business, I think that's the one thing that would stop me. It's like all the what ifs. The what ifs would be exhausting. I think also the fact that you need to be on 110% every single day yeah. if it's your business. Oh, well, there is that. Yeah, it's fantastic to have. There is a a nice part of working for somebody and saying, see you tomorrow. Mm. You know, without worrying about who's going to pay me, because literally that means the difference for my business of me paying somebody else and so on and so forth. Yeah. So um, but I still admire I think those people are fantastic um, and true entrepreneurs who've got out there and set up their business. And we have some great examples in Ireland. So I really admire. Yeah, there's a few of them. Yeah. 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 When a job seems insurmountable or if you feel that maybe you don't have the skills that are necessary, how, how do you challenge them or how do you tackle them? 
calmly. Okay. Logically. Understanding the problem and understanding what I can control and not control. So if you take the pandemic as mm-hmm. an example, so that hits um, and it's like, okay, I'm, I'm not in control of the pandemic. So, so it's about perspective for me on any problem. So am I in control of this? Do I need to make a decision? So I, I feel, you know, I'm a very logical person anyway, naturally, and I would be quite calm by nature. So both of those are really helpful. But then most importantly, is making decisions, not sitting on the fence, not, you know, dawdling and going. or letting things slide. No, yeah, no, I'm much more. What's the problem? What do we need to do? Let's make the decision. And again, going back to if the decision's wrong, the decision's wrong. I'll deal with that. That's fine. You know, it's it's I'm OK if I made the wrong decision. I usually when I'm making a decision, consider what's the worst case scenario here. Mm-hmm. If I go left and it's wrong, the worst case is this. And then I deal with the worst case in my head and then I go, I'm more comfortable now going left. You know, so it's a helpful way of making well, a decision. I suppose when you know what the consequences are, maybe yeah. it, it, it helps the comfort feeling it helps a little the bit. comfort and yeah. it gives you that confidence particularly you know decision making particularly for leaders and I deal with it all the time I have lots of them who struggle with it and it's not that they don't know it's that they perhaps don't have the confidence or they're worried about the what ifs mm. um, and I try to say play it out Wh- what if what what if this happened that happened the other happened then okay you know you know let's deal with the worst case it's unlikely to happen um but yeah, that's for me the best way of making decisions. And that comes back to your preparation thing. Yeah. That if you if you've got your I'm prepared before it's you. even happened. I'm prepared mm. for the worst case. So the decision all of a sudden becomes much easier. And probably clearer. And clearer. Exactly. Yeah. Clearer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, gut instinct. What role does that play? Are you a gut instinct girl? Oh yeah. Really? Oh yeah. Always. Always. Um gut instinct I learned I always knew I had it. I learned about my own gut instinct in my HR role so I used it this sounds really weird but I listened to my gut I practiced in so if my gut said yes go with that Mm. I wouldn't necessarily go with that I'd use the facts the figures the logic to make the decision for me even though my gut was telling me the answer already so Mm -hmm. I tested my gut was it right was it wrong how many times was it right because I was nervous about using my gut feel but do I use it? Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, that's I interesting. I couldn't not use my gut. You use the gut and you back it up with science and logic. N- now? Yeah. Now, today, yeah. I will even go as far as I use my gut. I don't even need the logic anymore. Really? Yeah. God. But I suppose that depends the on the situation. And yeah, it's experience. Well. It's a bit of yeah. confidence. It's a bit of, you know, I, it's not quite right for me. I don't know why. I don't overly explain it. And people in the business know that I have a gut and they'll go, you know what, it's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if your gut's telling you that, we'll go with your gut. But, because <laughs> but also it comes back to trust. Trust. That you've put yeah. the work into them and the work into yourself. Yes. Yeah, and you've exactly. done what you've said you're going to do. Exactly. And you've prepared. Yes. So it's literally like a big wheel, isn't it's it? One thing feeds like off the next. Wheel. Yeah. Gosh. And around and around and it goes. Before we move on to the next section, can I mention that we at Image would like to thank One Nutrition for their sponsorship of Work Rest Slay. The One Nutrition plant-based supplement range includes next-generation formulations in superfoods, wellness and immunity to support the demands of daily life. Ask about Irish brand One Nutrition at your local health store or pharmacies nationwide. You can also follow One Nutrition on Instagram at We Are One Nutrition. 
Because we are in the world of International Women's Day, I don't know if this is a day for you, but how do you get back involved with the female business community or I know you mentor quite a few people as well. I do. Tell us about a little bit about that side of your life. So as a global organization we make it a week rather than a day so it starts today and it runs for the whole week and they have you know each year it's kind of themed a little bit differently Mm -hmm. Um, and it involves people from leaders different business people women men too all over the world um and everybody can access it so that's a really great way to see um who who's who in kn who has you know gone up the ladder their story so you do profiles on yeah we do profiles and we do the kind of unconscious bias piece talking about that panel reviews all that type of stuff yeah so really tuning into it um it's a it's a big organization and kuna nagel are really behind women in um, top leadership positions you know they're fantastic they're big promoters of it and they will encourage anything in that space and are really open so if I came up with an initiative that was uh, you know in about women mm. they, they would they would back it they're super in that way so Good. really so really it's it's a complete complete week. international yeah initiative as Absolutely. opposed to just being in exactly. Ireland Gosh. and then some t- in Ireland this year we didn't do anything specific in Ireland because we're coming back to work mm-hmm. um, and I just thought it would just be a little too much just the way it fell so we're going to go on the back of the global and international piece um, and but normally each year we would we would um, you know do something specific in yeah. Ireland as well yeah. and what about you because do you go to many networking events do are you a member of anything um, uh, I'm a member of Image. Yay, the Image Business Club. The Image Business Club. It's all you need, yes. Pamela. Yeah. Um, so I was really good in this space pre-pandemic mm. and not so much since. Mm-hmm. I only started last month getting back out networking with people that, you know, I haven't met, I haven't seen. Um, they're not from logistics. They're different women yeah. um, that I that I now have met through networking and we've we've started to meet up which is super so I, I look forward to getting back to that but do you know what it's so strange it is literally like and I know I'm not the first person to say this everything has been cryogenically frozen mm-hmm. because n- not, nobody's been having any crack that we haven't been having <laughs> yeah. you know I, I agree <laughs> we're all back on the same playing field yeah. which is quite nice yeah it is quite nice and it's, it's great to physically see people it really mm. is on a very serious note Mm -hmm. um obviously because you're an international and a worldwide business and with the um desperate things that are happening in the ukraine can you tell us a little bit about um what kuhn and nagel are doing yeah i mean we we do have an office in uh ukraine and naturally enough it's um you know it's it's a very difficult situation our offices are currently closed but i mean kuhn and nagel is you know ensuring that all of our employees from our ukraine office and their families are being safely transported to different countries. Wow. So we've a lot going to Poland and so our Polish colleagues then are, you know, being host families, taking in children and we're putting people up in accommodation, providing jobs, food, whatever they need, really. Yeah. And Agal are going out of their way to make sure all of our employees and their families are safe. So um, and, you know, we, we've started a global um donation campaign as well and Kunanaga will match that as well you know so so really really going um and doing whatever is needed uh to for, for them so and I know that a lot of them have already settled well in Poland and hopefully we'll see some in Ireland but the doors are open and, and we're here to to help Good. them well I suppose again being logistics mm-hmm. I would imagine a lot of people 
both in the business and outside of the yeah. business are relying oh, on absolutely and, and yeah and getting yeah. goods in and, and running trucks in and you know we've even here locally we've started to um get supplies and you know medical and baby supplies and everything that they need you know and we can truck it in you're at um, the front line again yeah here Gosh. we are again yeah. yeah and again uh yeah for the wrong reasons in this case right? sadly but, sadly yeah. yeah but but that's what logistics is it's there it's it must be it must be a nice feeling to be able to feel you can constructively do something it is. yeah it sure is mm. um and I think after the last two years, whilst we wouldn't have chosen to, to you know, have to do it this way. Yeah. But it's it's good to know that dealing in a crisis that we're there at the front line and yeah. making it happen. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. I want to ask a few quick fire yes. questions of you to round up with. Yeah. Um, do you read any business books, listen to any podcasts besides this one, watch any <laughs> business TV? Are you a Dragon's Den girl? I only listen to podcasts or read books that are recommended. So I'm not a typical, I'm a more of a fiction person when I read. Oh, right. yeah. I read every night um, because that's part of my wind down, if you like. I like to go into another world. Lovely. I found when I was reading nonfiction in the evening, it would I would start getting ideas at like reading at half 11 to I had to stop it it was like yeah. ridiculous um so yeah I like stuff that's recommended to me and I will always listen into it um but not I won't I don't go searching for it okay yeah okay so yeah. If, if it comes your way yes yeah now this is something I want to ask you because you take a great photo any pictures I've seen of you you are <laughs> always so beautifully turned out you look amazing any tips on that for people who, because I think women all go, oh, I look awful in pictures. And I do too. I say no, no, exactly no. the same as what you've, I'm telling you, it, I can't believe you've just said that about I take a good picture. You do. For years, I have avoided cameras. I've hated it. Um, but you know what I did? The We use a guy who has done some uh, photos for us of buildings and stuff like that. And he was doing profile pictures for me a few years ago. And he was saying to me, Pamela, you know, drop your chin down here, do this and that. So I really got into it with him. I was going, look, I really hate photos. Like, I really hate them. Uh, what can I do different? And he gave me some tips. Um, and amazingly, for some reason, I kept lifting my head up. Now, it seemed, yeah, my chin. And he was going, and your hands are really important as well. Mm. Um, and the positioning of them. So I got a few tips from him as to the best way to stand and how best to put. So side is always good. Um, you know, putting your hands, you know, flat is not. So keep them turned to the side as well, because it just shows it. Distorted. It's a better angle or whatever. It's a better yeah. angle. But I had a real problem with my chin. I kept tilting it skywards, which was not a good at all a good uh, profile picture. But you know, again, so you delegated the problem, yeah, which is yeah. amazing. But also, it's so great when somebody gives you decent feedback. And it, maybe it would be hard to hear that from a friend or a partner or something. Yeah. But from a photographer, it's so true. Ask the, ask. Yeah, he was great. He was real. Just Pamela, no, seriously, move the hair out of the way. No, get that. Out. I was going, OK, just you just tell me what I have to do. Um, but he showed me. He took some photos for me and said, now, do you see what I'm saying? So I had to also understand it a little bit myself. Now, as soon as I go for a photo, the first thing I do is tilt my head, not downwards that I'm looking down, but just to avoid that pointed 
chin you know the look yeah and you, you know, know like it's yeah, yeah exactly Gosh. well okay so ask for help yeah um any good strategies to share for effective business meetings because i think we've all got used to our zoom meetings and now we have to go back into mm-hmm. real world meetings can go on a long time so for somebody who organizes and heads mm-hmm. up a lot of them any learned tips i don't probably run meetings typically so I'm not a minutes of last meeting person. Yeah. And let's go through the boring old catch up. I'm into doing workshops. I like different style meetings. I like fresh topics. Um, I like to deal with problems that haven't exist. So I look into the future. I don't go into what did we do last month? What did we do last year? I'm not interested in all that. So it's fresh. It's on your toes. And whether we're physically in a room or whether we're on Zoom, we go into breakouts and stuff like that. So it's a great for me, effective business meetings. Take a problem you have in the business, any mm-hmm. topic, put it onto the table and discuss it and talk about what you can do, not what you are doing or what you have done. What can we do here to change the situation? And it changes the dynamic, it changes the interest levels, and it's very powerful um, to have effective Mm. business meetings. And how do you get the quiet person to speak up? I ask them questions. Direct questions. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I would go, Melanie, what do you think? Mm. So if you're sitting there observing, um, I I will ask you a question. So I will, depending on your character, if you're really shy naturally, um, I will ease you into it. Mm-hmm. For sure, I'll help you to bring you out to build your confidence, maybe if, if you're not confident, but I certainly won't let you sit there. But you're always cognizant of the group yeah. around you and pulling them out. Exactly. So yeah. again, we're back to that people. It's about them. What are they seeing? What are they hearing? What are they telling me through their eyes, through their body language, through their tone, through their. Yeah. So are you always, always reading the room? Always. Interesting. Always. Very, very interesting. Yeah, I do it naturally. Yeah. Um, You're people curious. I'm people curious. Mm. Now you have it. Gosh. Yeah. Um, Zoom or real life meetings? Real life which without even, I'm not even letting you finish that real life. Really? Yeah. Is there anything from the last two years you're keeping going? Or are you just glad to see the, lo- the back of it all? I'm glad to see the back of it in a mm. lot of ways. Um, What will I keep going? I hope her business keeps going the way it's going. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really good yeah. line. Definitely. So if you're not feeling it on a day, mm-hmm. how do you get yourself into the zone? You mean if I'm tired or something? If you're or tired or if you're just going like, oh God, I'm, I'm not just sure. not into this. Yeah. I will try and take, and I have to be into it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I will try and take a half hour out maybe. I will try to... Um, I don't know. I don't know what I do. You know, I I make myself get into the zone. If I have to get into it, I have to get into it. Yeah. Um, I think what I need to be aware of from my own self-awareness is if I'm not into it and I'm tired and I'm I need to be careful of my own tone sometimes. Mm. You know, I could be a little bit more short tempered or not so into it in that way. Yeah. And that's something I need to be aware of. So sometimes I need to be kind of, OK, look this is important I need to kind of have that chat so that I don't come I don't mean to come across but I know that I can right without meaning to yeah um yeah. and I look I'm only human like everybody else and of course I'm going to have off days generally I am into it mm. um but I can zone I can go into that zone I can go into a zone for an hour a day yeah 
So go in for the hour and then get back out of it again if I have to. And you know, it's probably like going for a walk or something, those things that once you immerse yourself That's in exa- it, you're there. Yeah. You're it's there grand. and you're into it and you know, and then you go, I'm delighted I did that. Yeah, yeah. Are you a morning or a night person? And I mean that in terms of people go on about deep work. You know, when is your deep work moment? When do you not want to be disturbed? I'm definitely a not a morning person. Okay. <laughs> definitely not. I never have been. And my deep work would be at its best any in the afternoon into the evening. Okay. Yeah. So you're the after lunch yeah, shift. I'm the after lunch shift. The, the, yeah. the, the dead zone that nobody yeah. else. Yeah. That's when you I come alive. I come alive. Oh my yeah, goodness Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, all for it. I could be having um, thoughts on strategy, you know, at seven o'clock. Oh, that's what we would do. And then I can't wait for the next morning to get it into place. But um, yeah, no, I'm definitely afternoon. Gosh. Yeah. And tell me, if you go to, now you're going to have to remember back to mm-hmm. the days of networking, right? You go to an event, mm-hmm. you look around, you don't necessarily see anyone you know. Mm-hmm. Any tips for chatting or integrating or? Yeah, um, what would I do? I'd probably go to the bar Mm -hmm. and somehow strike up. I would start with anything from the weather to isn't it cold out? Isn't it lovely out? Whatever is the case. Or isn't it an exciting event we're at? Mm. Um, I'd go out for a cigarette. Actually. (laughs) Or I'd go into the toilet and like. Join a group. Yeah. Mm. It's so easy. If you if you listen out and you're in that awkward situation, you will come across and say, you know, you could ask, say, you know, sorry you don't mind me you know where's this where's that it's, yeah. it's pretty easy to to get going but you'll give it a lash anyway oh i will get in there i, I wouldn't chatting. have years ago yeah oh i wouldn't have had the confidence to do that that would have been a disaster think, for me i think age teaches you so many of these skills yeah. and it sounds it's awful to sound like old mother time here but you really do care about yourself an awful lot less in these situations yeah. as you get a bit older I'm don't like, you whatever <laughs> you know, I and I don't mean that in a in a dismissive way, but I definitely I would have been so awkward years ago. Mm. Now I would be much more confident at striking up a conversation with somebody about anything, anything at all, anything. And people are friendly, right? So, well, they are, yeah. and I think Irish people especially. Yeah. Uh, tell me on this one: uh, if you have to have a difficult conversation, yes, and maybe even wearing your HR hat, yes. you know those really difficult conversations. Mm-hmm. I've had a few. Yeah. Any tips? For anyone who's got to, who's sitting at home going like, oh God, I've got to have this. Yeah, thinking about it is always worse than the actual conversation. That's the first thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the avoidance of the difficult conversations is quite common. And quite common, we have kind of a group of young managers who absolutely avoid it at all costs because they're anticipating the response, the the consequence of the, the conversation. Let's be really honest. Nobody doesn't want to be liked and this plays a part. Whether we agree, whether we consciously or subconsciously think that, that does play a part for us. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to have a really difficult conversation with somebody and somewhere in the back of your head you're going, I, I don't not want them to like me. This isn't going to be easy. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it isn't going to be easy. Or mm. I don't want to maybe have to tell them or you don't want to hurt them or whatever, mm. right? So you have a combination of things going on. Again, for me, I mean, I suppose... I, you, again, I would just be so prepared. I would know what I'm having the conversation about, why. Um, I would absolutely tune into the tone of the conversation I'm going to have. It's really important. So it, you know that whole saying of it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Mm-hmm. So if I were to tell you something really difficult, how I tell you makes the difference between how difficult a conversation it is versus mm-hmm. it isn't. How I tell you will decide whether you become defensive or whether... You accept what I'm saying, mm. you know, you know mm. what I mean? So it's that I would actually consider. 
Normally I wouldn't, I would do it naturally. But in a difficult conversation, I would go, okay, I'm going to have a conversation with Melanie and I need to tell her she's fired. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I have to be really maybe tone neutral here. I need to be careful that I don't go on the attack, in other words. So I don't come across angry to you. Mm. You, mm-hmm. you know, I maybe yeah. explain the situation so I can keep you calm and give it to you the best way. You know, so there's all those little tips and tricks. And mm. God knows I've had some difficult conversations that have not gone the way I wanted them to go. Um, and I look back and go, mm, I didn't do that well. God, well, I think, we, you know, and it's again, it's how we learn is it's how the unfortunately that yes. personality needs mm. a different approach or whatever. Yeah, the topic yeah. needs a different approach. I could have gone softer. I could have gone harder. It just depending on what the topic is. Yeah. But difficult conversations in my experience, having said all of that. Yeah. Nine times out of 10 are never as difficult as we think they're going to be. It's true. They really aren't. And the relief when they're done. And the relief when they're done. It's an, it's awkward and it's not nice, but it's part and parcel. And the more you do it, like everything, the better yeah. you get or the easier it gets, I suppose. But people surprise you and mm. they're really not that difficult. But tone is important. Tone is really important. For people those. really are the most surprising element in the whole of this, yes, aren't they? They're amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's back to that curiosity about people. And you know what? People ask me, where do I get my learnings? I get it through other people. Gosh. Well, last question for you and a hard one. What's left for Pamela Quinn or what would you really like your legacy with Coon and Nagel to be when all said and done? Um, I don't know what's next Mm -hmm. in any definitive terms. Mm. I definitely want I see this as a as a new chapter in Mm -hmm. some ways coming back after Mm. the pandemic as an opportunity to start again despite what's gone on before despite all the successes before that's fine but I want to start again I want to bring back that culture piece um you know I want to I want to bring us on a journey where we're known for um the strength that we are as an organization um yeah I I want to inspire new people that I haven't met yet you know I want to mentor them I want to bring them and see them on a journey and see what they bring to the organization that's right now what's next for me it's that exciting and I do see it as exciting I feel like I'm starting a new company well it's we have had a two-year yeah cryogenic session Mm -hmm. so yeah let's hope that it all defrosts beautifully (laughs) here's hoping here's hoping Pamela thank you so much for everything today I really really appreciate it and a very happy International Women's Day and same to you (laughs) thanks thank you Thank you so much again, Pamela. What a totally excellent hour that really makes me truly feel that anything is possible and achievable. Thanks to Tall Tale Studios and to the team at Image, Sophie Parr, Simone Kennedy and Bill O'Sullivan for their help in producing today's podcast. Thanks to our sponsors, One Nutrition, more details on which can be found on our hub at image.ie slash workrestslay. That's also where you'll find all previous episodes of this podcast, as well as on your usual podcast platforms. And again, we'd be so grateful if you'd subscribe, rate and or comment on what you've enjoyed. And on a final note, we all look forward to seeing as many of you as possible on Wednesday evening, March 23rd at the Westbury Hotel for our first Image Business Club live event. If you haven't already sorted out your tickets, details are again on image.ie and all our social channels. So hopefully see you there or here at our next podcast. Have a good month.